0: John chapter 19. It says in our text for us here, continuing to read after starting 25 to 30, now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman behold thy son, then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now therefore was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge and with vinegar, and put it upon a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Lord, as blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you speak through me. May I say nothing amiss. May your word be preeminent. Thank you for our school children highlighted today. I pray that you bless each one. Bless as parents, grandparents, that we will be the examples that we should be. Bless our time into your word as we look at the King of the Jews. Lord, you're the King of everything. You're the Lord of creation. If we have not chosen to receive you as our very own personal Savior, may today be the day of salvation for them that have not done that yet. And for us who name your name, may we allow you to live your life through us, and glorify you. Lord, forgive me of sin, empty me of self, fill me with your spirit, please, this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Three things this morning for jotting down an outline. There's an act of government, an act of grace, and an act of greatness, an act of government, an act of grace, and an act of greatness. And so that will be our theme if you want to use it that way. And we're, there's not a lot of... Uh, 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 joking, there's no. There's mostly serious today. But I did find these two things before we get into the message regarding sermons. One man commented that the most important ingredient in any sermon is shortening, and another fellow suggested that sermons should not only have a train of thought, but they should also have a terminal. And so there we are. Maybe it's something you've wanted to say for a while. And there we are. We got it. I said it for you. An act of government, an act of grace, an act of greatness. First of all, in 19, if you go back to 19, we see an act of government. And there, there is the sentence in chapter 19, verse 16. Then delivered he them, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. Pilate thinks he has washed his hands. As a matter of fact, if you want to go back over to look for yourself in Matthew 27, he says, I wash my hands of this whole affair, but we know the stains of Christ's blood are very much a part of his hands and ours as well, he's determined, led them over to turn Christ over to a, probably a four-soldier unit with a centurion to crucify Christ. It says in 16, they delivered him, therefore, unto them, the chief priest, to be crucified. The Roman writer Sercio said it was the most uh, cruel and shameful of all punishments, he said that let it never come near uh, the body of a Roman citizen, and nay, not even near his thoughts or his eyes. He also went on to say, "Uh, what can I say of crucifying him? An act so abominable, it is impossible to find any word adequate to express. That was a Roman writer. And another Roman writer said, crucifixion is a torture fit only for slaves. So Pilate, because of his lack of character, turned Christ over to the chief priest whose lack of character turned Christ over to be crucified. And so that's where we find this in our text today. We've been heading toward this for the last, however, a couple of years, really. In the beginning was the Word. From that very first verse all the way, we've been anticipating the moment of Christ's death and in his burial and his resurrection. We've been heading to these days for quite some message, 78. So that tells you how long we've been working through John. Wearsby says crucifixion probably had its origin among the Persians and Phoenicians, but possibly the Romans learned to perfect it or use it really a lot. It was not uncommon in the Roman world to see crucifixions. It was part of the everyday life. If we have pictured, and even often, I think in our Baptist, you can already see the crosses, but we often see pictures of the crosses upon a hill, and they're very tall. Most likely, we can't say with certainty, but they were very close to the road. The upright part of the cross remained in position and they would take the the, uh, pentablium, if you would, that was the crossbar. The soldier would take that, or the the one being crucified would carry that to the upright cross and very likely close to the road. Why was that? Because the Romans wanted you to know, if you get out of line with us, this is what's going to happen to you. And to put Christ in a very prominent place, we'll see in just a moment. So I would say probably at this point in time, the idea it's on a hill far, far away with uh, just the three people, I think he's a lot closer to the road than that. And it's probably maybe just three or four feet off the ground where his feet. Just a different viewpoint. We can't say with certainty, as all those things have happened in, in Jerusalem since then. 17. And he, Jesus, bearing his, Jesus' cross, by the way, that should be our cross, that he, bearing our cross, went forth... Now, I'm just in mindset. The Bible is correct on his cross, but it really was ours. That It was us along with that. Went forth into the place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Golgotha, however you don't pronounce that. Uh, other texts, we find that Simon the Cyrenian was uh, compelled. He was uh, made to carry that part of the cross. Interesting, I was reading uh, a, a commentator once said that when he stumbled... Can I just tell you, the Bible never, ever, ever says Jesus stumbled. I read through all the accounts. That is a part of another religious system that want to have a certain number of stations on the way to the cross. Now, he was weakened. And by the way, having gone through what he's gone through up all night, all the the battle and and spiritual battle in Gethsemane, all the torture, the beating, the hitting, the crown of thorns, the taking the robe on and off, the scourging, all those things, any one of us, We'd likely even be standing. Possibly not even, like many, probably already been dead by now. And so they compelled Simon the Cyrenian to help carry, uh, someone has estimated, this about a mile-long walk from the, we, now we have a song called the Via Dolorosa, the choirs actually sung that, but we can't really say with apodictic certainty the exact road he took or exactly where the cross was outside the city, a place of a skull. And interesting how, the skull is such a negative thing. It's, there's just the eye sockets and perhaps broken teeth are showing, and there's, there's, it's just morbid. Look at skulls. Compare that with the uh, the parody of the human head with the flowing hair, for those who have hair, and the dancing eyes and the mobile lips and the changing expressions and the, the marvelous brain. What a difference between a living person... And the skull of a dead person, I was just talking about this morning in Sunday school, how one of the things that possibly was critical of Paul, that he had a bald head. I'm thinking that could have been a bonus for him if he had a bald head, but that's just me because I'm where I am. And you're probably thinking that could be a negative. There we go. Different thoughts. The most important thing is, I think Paul was what a man of God Paul was. By the way, gentlemen, if you ever think about going to the ministry, it's not how eloquent you can become. When you think it's your eloquence that makes it worthwhile, you have really gone the wrong path. It's God's word. You must always center your teaching upon God's word. So that's why when there's even someone says he stumbled, why would you write that? Have you you should know better? I'm thinking you should know better than that. Don't read things in that cast a disparaging light upon God. I just might I'm just maybe it's old fashioned me. What does the Bible say? It's called the place of the skull. Cranium. Calvary is the Latin equivalent. Not sure exactly why that name. We know that Jewish people would not leave skulls laying around the ground somewhere, for that matter. The dead bodies, head intact, were likely buried the very same day. Even Christ came off the cross and they put him in Joseph's tomb that very same day. If you died in that era, likely you were buried the same day you died. Because there was not the embalming process for the most part. John wrote notes that Jesus bore his own cross. I like these words. I'm not sure a commentator said it, but before the Romans put a man on a cross, they put the cross on the man, forcing him to carry it in public procession intended to draw attention to the condemned, his crime, and his fate. Have you ever thought back to comparing Genesis 22? Young Mr. Isaac, perhaps 30 years old, won't say that's as young, uh, carries his own wood for his sacrifice. He's carrying his own wood. Jesus Is carrying the cross, part of the cross at least, to his own sacrifice for us. So he carries his cross again, probably that horizontal beam that would be later he'd be nailed to later on in just a few little bit. That forced Simon to help him carry the cross. There's no contradiction between Simon helping to carry the cross, a part of the way that's what happened. The Bible says it's clearly what happened. I think I was trying to look this morning, but I think that Simon of Cyrene may become a leader in the early church in another city. I think that is possibly believed that Simon the Cyrenian, perhaps after seeing Christ crucified, received him. I'm not sure all details. Something would be worth you to look up if you'd like to this week, want to study on something. The Lord was of life was led to the place of death, verse 18, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side, and Jesus in the midst. He, hung, he was hanging between two criminals, and John follows the other gospel writers in drawing the veil over the terrible details of the actual crucifixion. Have you ever noticed? I was talking to Stephanie about this on the way over. Have you ever noticed how the, the Bible is right about everything? If they went through and gave all the terrible details of what crucifixion involved, I would probably not want my child to read the Bible in that era, or that part. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand when they say a relationship, Adam knew his wife, Eve. We know what, you don't have to go into details, but we know what's going on there. We know the crucifixion part, and so the Bible, isn't it amazing? The Bible is right Every time about everything, the way it does things, you don't have to. Why did we not explore? The people of Rome and Israel knew exactly what the crucifixion entailed, so not a lot of details were needed. They were also take care not to use language or descriptions that would manipulate the emotions. We see Christ on the cross. We read this terrible account today, and we should be moved with sorrow. But I'm telling you, emotions don't save. It's a belief that he, what he was doing there. So rather than point to all the suffering and give us all the details, which we would not want children or grandchildren necessarily to read, they crucified. When they say they scourged Christ, it is we pastors who've gone into depth and described what the scourging is. The Bible hasn't done that. I'm not saying it's bad. But you understand, the more you learn from the Bible, the more it's like, man, he's, ding, ding, it ticks it off. Another reason, the veracity of Scripture. God does everything right. It's right for everyone to read. It's, God's amazing. His Word is amazing. I trust you have found that to be true. If not, you need to get reading and studying His wonderful Word to us. Everything about we know is horrible. There was like possibly nakedness. Not sure. Jewish people would not allow nakedness, but the Romans, I don't think, had any qualms with that. The shame, the flies, the thirst, the heat. The breathing, they, had to, they put a little piece on the cross where you you sat on to give you a little bit of a respite. And then, because if, if you didn't push up with your legs, causing the tremendous pain to give you just one more breath. It's awful way to end a life. Terribly cruel. We understand that. He did it for us. Interesting, though, he was in the midst says in our text, in the midst of the criminals, in the midst of the malfactors, we see him first in the midst of the theologians when he was a young boy in the temple, in the midst of them. We see him later on in the midst of the disciples post-resurrection. We see him in the midst of the malfactors before he dies, in the midst of the disciples at post-resurrection. We see him in the midst of the seven golden lampstands in Revelation 1. We see him in the midst of the throne in Revelation 4. And we see him in Matthew 18 where two or three are gathered together of Christ's people. He's there am I in the Midst, and that is us. He, he's with us even here today. All this for us. At the name of G- perfect song was did not plan it that way. Thought not robbery to be equal with God, taking the form of a servant and becoming like man. That was Christ for us. The sentence. Then we see not only the act of government. Uh, uh, the the sentence and the superscription in 19. Pilate wrote a little or wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And the title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was one nigh to the city, and it was written in the Hebrew and Latin, and Greek, Greek, and Latin. So that would really go back to the mindset that he was somewhere close where a lot of people are going to walk by or see him. It wasn't some far away, distant place where they would have to take a journey to see. It's like just passing by. Does not the Bible say when he was on the cross, they, as they passed by, the passers-by would say, somewhere it says the passers-by would say something negative toward Christ on the cross? Somewhere, I can't put I'm just coming, thinking there it was. And so there were a lot of people. So why so many people? It's interesting. The Romans had a purpose in this, to continue to, if you can imagine Pilate getting back at the Jewish people for one reason, We find then that uh, the Aramaic for the local inhabitants, Latin for the officials, and Greek was the language of the Eastern Mediterranean world, Hebrew for the Jews who glorified the law, Greek for the Grecians who glorified in wisdom, and Latin for the Romans who glorified in dominion and power. Something for everyone. But it really was a gospel tract. Why would you say a gospel tract? Well, it was just one of these two who realized that what? Jesus was the king. Well, and one, one thief was just railing on Christ. What, don't you know this? Is, and remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. King? Kingdom? So, Pilate, unbeknownst to himself, or who wrote a gospel tract, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, King of the Jews, is the unvarnished truth. A truth the religious establishment wanted so to get away from, but it was true nonetheless, could not be denied we imagine the triumphant smile on Pilate's face as he authorized the title. Probably the only satisfaction in the whole mess of this trial. Ah, I don't know what I'll put on there. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. I can, you, I can just imagine the smile on his face as he wrote that. Outside the camp, outside the city, he was, he was crucified. Perhaps these were two of Barabbas' lieutenants. We don't know who these thieves were. New one, we will meet one day. Because he received Christ as his Lord and Master and Savior. So what it proclaimed, and also what it provoked in 21, then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered what I have written, I have written. By the way, I was reading this week. Uh, this, that is, I will not alter what I have written. The Romans' laws forbade the sentence to be altered once it was pronounced. And this inscription was considered as the sentence pronounced against our Lord. Therefore, it could not be changed. What I have written, I have written. And so that's become a very famous saying of Pilate's over the centuries. We find then his enemies, though, proclaimed a truth. Remember, it was Caiaphas said, it was, it's fitting that one should die for the nation. Bible says in Psalm 76, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. As an act of governance, the sentence, sentence the superscription and the soldiers of 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified, Jesus took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart. Also his coat. Now this, the coat was without seam, woven from top throughout. Soldiers then had done this dreadful deed. It was time for them to get something out of this. I cannot imagine being a soldier who was crucifying people. I certainly would not want to be that part of my job description. But there's spoils. There was the outer garment, the one that they divided into four parts. That's where we get four soldiers, possibly, likely, a a quorum of four soldiers. Not a quorum, but a quartering of, of four soldiers. Perhaps then a centurion to watch over them. They divided that, and each person got a piece of garment they might use for other purposes, but when it came to the tunic, this hand-woven, single-seam tunic, they said, well, let's cast lots for that. So they, I was jiggle my thing, but they would, they would put the lots in a, and they would uh, shake them up and down, and they would start, I believe, the jar a little small hole, and they would shake, 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 and the first cube that came out, that was the lot that was chosen. That was one of the way I think they would cast lots. We are going to cast lots for that. It's interesting that earlier on, the high priest, when he heard that Jesus proclaimed that he was God, the Christ, he rent his robe. Isn't it interesting that it's really quite apropos that the sinful high priest of the Jewish people, who had done wrong, was acting so inappropriate, acting so blasphemously, sinfully, rent his robe? And you remember when Christ was crucified, the veil in the temple was rent. Judaism became a false religion at that point in time. Once Christ be- crucified Christ Christ Himself, Christianity had begun. A new ch- the church had begun, and Judaism and believing in the old rituals and things now is replaced. Now you must believe in Christ as the Savior. And so there's that transition time in the Book of Acts. I wonder. If we rent robes over behaving sinfully, how many robes we should rend in America? I wonder how many robes in our own congregation should I have rent my robe this week because of a sinful thing I have done. Just something to think about. Although we do not know it, he graphically really enacted this rendering of his office. Motivated by a mean purpose then, desire for maximum worldly gain, and resorting to casting lots, as soldiers really fulfilled a prophecy John was there. How do we know such details? Well, John was there, remember? He was at the cross. The psalmist said in 22.18, They part my garments among them and cast lots for my vesture. What a prediction. 24. said among them, says, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. It was an act of government. There was the sentence and the superscription and the soldiers. There's also an act of grace. Starting 25, from the sword scene to a very sad scene, there was those who were standing by the cross in 25. Those who were standing by the cross, my, in 1925, it says for us here. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. I'll just give you a shortage of it. uh, After looking through the commentaries, etc., I believe that Salome is the person not named by name. That would be Mary's sister. Salome, the mother of James and John, is likely that fourth lady who are at the cross, this little group of people who are there. You notice who are very noticeably absent are the disciples other than John. Where are they? Not at the cross. No ladies are there. You look down from the cross and saw this little, someone said, forlorn group, especially his mother. This was no place for her. He acted in love and grace and would not let her go back to her natural home. Why not go back to her natural home? We believe that Joseph by now has passed from the scene. We believe that Jesus has, we want to call them stepbrothers and sisters, but they're not really related anyway. But Joseph and Mary, I believe, had four named sons and at least two daughters because it's plural. So there's at least six children that they had that would be, we call them, half Wave tournament. Half brother and sister to Jesus, but they weren't. But that's, that's where they are. And so, but Joseph has passed from the scene, and so these ladies are there Mary and Salome and Mary Magdalene, and the other one, uh, they're, they're Mary, Mary, the wife of Cleopas. 26. And Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And he saith to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. Why his own home? Because his family was yet unbelieving. As at this point in time, Jesus' half-brothers and sisters, however you want to call them there, they were all unbelieving as far as, especially, they did not believe yet. And so John took care of Mary from that point on, we believe. So those were standing at the cross, and those who were sent from the cross. I think it was tender compassion on the part of the Savior. Now when he says, woman, behold thy son, that in that era was not some derogatory mark. Woman, behold thy son. He did not address her as mother. The Bible never calls Mary the mother of God. I'm sure you know that already. He does not call Mary the mother of God. Earthly relationships were going to be ending. This parental title was replaced by a more general one of respect. Woman, behold thy son. Legend has it, I just read this week, that the undergarment that Jesus, the tunic they did cast lots for, that Mary had made that for him. Interestingly enough, in the end of 24, you'll see it says, these things, therefore the soldiers did... Why is it that Jesus just now in 25 addresses the group? Could it possibly be that since that was something that Mary made for him, that he then wanted to get Mary away from the cross before something happened with that, thinking of her, but he goes right to them in 25. John records that. We're not sure. Swindoll says, echoes it possibly. He says, why now? She's been there all along watching and weeping. Why hasn't he acknowledged or spoken to her earlier his outer garments were insignificant, but when they touched the tunic, they touched something very near to his heart and the garment made for him, possibly by his mother. And so very possibly that's what brought this at this point in time from the cross. We don't know for sure, but we're saying he is going to send Mary, I believe, from the cross from that moment on, if you read earlier later on. But how far seeing was this? Why did Christ send Mary from the cross? Is it possible that mankind in all their religious wisdom could somehow raise Mary to a point of the veneration of Mary to where she could possibly be even involved in our salvation? Is it possible that mankind would ever get to that? Yes, it is. There's a church in France. I cannot pronounce the first name because I cannot speak French. I can barely speak English, let alone French. But it has two, at the bottom of it, there's two sayings. There's a big dome, and of course, Mary's up there with the child. Have you ever ever wondered why the Madonna and the child, the the Madonna's always a lot larger? And the child, the queen of heaven, have you ever thought about why that goes together there sometimes? Just, you should research that. On one of the columns at the bottom of this church, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and we have no problem with that. The other quotation, though, is regarding Mary from St. Bernard. It says, it is God's will that we should receive all things through Mary. In Rome, Italy, there's a church of Maria Maggiore, which is in the heart of of Rome. It's part of the Roman Catholic worship and veneration of Mary. In the courtyard, there is a crucifix with Jesus on one side and Mary on the other. Catholic dogma. She's a co-redemptrix. What that means, Redeemer, male, redemptrix, female. That's not what the Bible says. Mary says out of her own mouth, Rejoice in God, my Savior. Mary was not immaculately conceived. Mary did not get ascend to heaven without ever bearing children and a perpetual virginity. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say Mary is sinners. The Bible never tells us to pray to Mary. Mary is... is The earthly mother of Jesus, yes. A lady who was sold out to God, yes. One we should be uh, thankful for, yes. But not worship. And I can imagine she in heaven just, if she knows anything about it, is absolutely mortified that human beings are praying to her that we're going to get all things. She knows better than that, but mankind wants to do something more in their own theology. Active governance, and real quickly, we have an active grace and an active greatness in twenty nine. The Lord deliberately and received the sponge in twenty eight. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, "I thirst." If you turn with me, please, in Psalm twenty two, as we head toward the very home stretch, Psalm twenty two, and we're going to see a lot of, from this messianic psalm. Knowing that all things were now accomplished. Just one more thing we might say needed yet to be finished and to accomplish from Scripture. Look what it says in Psalm 22, just a few verses. A messianic psalm, a psalm referring to the Messiah, written years before. David was about 900-something there, the late 900s B.C., long before Christ ever a long time before. We'll just leave it at that. 22, Psalm 22. Look at verse, starting with verse, if you would there please, 16. 22, 16 of Psalm. It says for us here, For the dogs have come past me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. 22, 8. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him, how they mocked him. 18, they part my garments among them. They cast lots for my vestures. Abandoned, 22-1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then earlier on in Psalm 69, you want to turn over, we see this last one. There's the request in Psalm 69, verse 21. Psalm 69, 21 says for us here in 69, 21. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Hundreds of years before this happened, the psalmist pins exactly what's going to happen at the cross to Christ. What is the only explanation? God. This is God's book. He wrote it. The request, I thirst. Finally gave him to drink. I think probably the Roman soldiers immediately responding there. If you back over to our text in John chapter 19. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth. Instantly, they, they responded to that. A vinegar-soaked vinegar sponge. He had turned down the other liquids up until this point in time. Uh, if it was a parched, again, if it was, wasn't was some like 15, 20 feet in the air, if it was close, they could just take a, a, a reed and just reach it right up without even getting on the ladder, per se, if he's likely the way it was. I can't say for sure. But they helped him with that. So the response, he deliberately received the sponge, and he deliberately then released his spirit in 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And this was not some discouraging, I just can't believe I'm so over this. This was a triumphant. Tetelestai. It's done and over. I have done everything that was necessary. It is finished. Every job, every tittle has been done. I have followed my father's commands. It is finished. Spurgeon says, it was a conqueror's cry. It was uttered with a loud voice. There's nothing of anguish about it. There's no wailing in it. It is the cry of one who has completed a tremendous labor. It is finished. And by the way, it's still finished today. There was an evangelist named Alexander Rutin, who was a, approached a flippant young man, uh, I mean, a, care, a careless young man who didn't care much of what's going on in the world. He says, and, and the guy says to the evangelist, "What much? What must I do to be saved?" And he said, "It's too late." And he went back to what he was doing. And the guy was alarmed. He said, "Do you mean it's too late for me to be saved? Is there nothing I can do?" "Too late," says Rootin. "It's already done. Now you must believe. It's not too late." If you're here this morning, you've never received Christ. It is not too late. The Holy Spirit's knocking at your heart's door. You need to respond. I can't respond for you. It is not too late. King of the Jews. King of the world. Lord of creation. What is your Savior? That's the question you must answer. Is he your Savior? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text, this scripture. I find no humor in the entire text, and there is none. should not be any. It is a text of solemnity. The solemn uh, rendering by John of this terrible, heinous, the worst thing mankind has ever done, hands down, in, in the history of mankind, to murder their maker. And yet, you did that all for me. Must Jesus bear His cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for each of us. There's a cross for me. Lord, if there would be even one person under the sound of my voice this morning that has never truly come to know His personal Savior, may today be the day of salvation for them. Lord, if we name, Your name, may we get rid of the junk in our lives. May we be done with this nominal Christianity where I'll just come to church sometimes or I'll just pray if I want or if it suits me or I'll just read my Bible if I have time, a minute here, a minute there. And be committed to a Christ-like walk. Lord, forgive us for our, 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 our selfishness. Lord, if you've spoken to hearts, May we respond in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.